Digital marketing seems to be the mystery that most entrepreneurs struggle with, and real estate investors are no exception. The truth is, there are multiple avenues to success. Those experiences will be best shared by the guests on this podcast. My name is Jason Wright, and I would like to welcome you to Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories. What is going on? Jason Wright here, coming to you with episode number 14 of the Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories podcast. Oh, great to be here. So this is going to be a good episode today. I realize I say that every week, but every time I look at the guest and reflect upon the conversation, I'm inspired. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about something a little different pre-show today. I don't think I've spoken about this um, on another podcast yet, but you will see why I chose this show to talk about it. Let me ask you a question. I need your undivided attention only for a moment. Why do you do what you do? You're trying to raise capital. You're trying to make investments, maybe from the LP side. Why are you doing that? Money, Jason. No, but like, what is that money going to do for you? What is your why? What's got you on this journey? The reason I ask that question is because I come from a place, everything I talk about, teach about, speak about is based on my actual experience. Right? I got my first taste of entrepreneurship at 14, cutting grass, because my mom wouldn't buy me any more fishing tackle. That was my life back then. So I cut three yards in my cul-de-sac, made 75 bucks a week tax-free, and I got my first taste of entrepreneurship. Okay, So as we fast forward to this journey for me now, I've been in this game uh, seven and a half years, and it has not been a fun journey. The first three years especially were horrific, and I don't know another person that I can say, you know what, if they walked in my shoes, they would have stuck it out. I think everybody would have quit because it didn't make any sense. A lot of pain, nothing to show for it for years. So again, why are you doing what you're doing? Okay. If your why is not strong enough, you will give up. So something to think about. For me, my motivator, believe it or not, wasn't money initially, not as a primary thing. My, my reason for becoming an entrepreneur was control over my time. So I live in Martinsville, Indiana, about 35 minutes south of Indianapolis. All the jobs that I ever worked in HR or sales were either downtown Indianapolis, west side, or north. So if they were north, I was commuting two hours a day on a good day, throwing a snowstorm. Sometimes it's four, five, six hours. So I don't get paid to drive. It never, never made sense to commute I know there's people out there that drive further in bigger cities, but Indianapolis is not small. I always hated wasting my time with the drive time. I always hated, you know, when I was in HR, having to work weekends for job fairs. I always hated having somebody else dictate when I had to do stuff. Most jobs, pre-COVID and all that, they're early. They start early and go late if you're on first shift, right? I hated that. I don't like getting up early. I woke up at 11 o'clock a.m. today. I'm not sorry. I stay up late. So for me, getting control over my time was always a big thing. And then I was like, hey, as a bonus, if I can do that as an entrepreneur, as a capital raise, whatever you're into, there is no cap on your earnings as well. So for me, control over my time was my biggest motivator. Why am I talking about this? Well, two reasons. One, if your why isn't strong enough, it may not work out for you, my friend. I've seen a lot of buddies come and go as entrepreneurs. Most disappear statistically. In two years or less, and uh, a big majority are gone in five. 
I will not be that statistic. I will not be that, and I hope you're not either, but it's possible. I'm bringing this up today because my guest today is Derek Clifford. Derek is an interesting dude for a few reasons. Uh, he's the founder and CEO of a company called Elevate Equity. He is an investor. He's an author. He's a mentor. And he is the host of his own podcast. It is called Elevate Your Equity, and it's great. I've been on there. He's controlling 300-plus apartments currently with $20 million under management plus. I don't know what that hard number is today, but he's north of there. He is uh, one of the few dudes that I've met, and I've actually uh, had the privilege of meeting him and his wife face-to-face, having lunch with them in Plainfield, Indiana. But he is one of the few people I've met who says they're a digital nomad, right? That actually is. A lot of people that say that are, you know, obsessed with their Instagram posts. They live at home. They have no bills because mom and dad have set them up well. And they kind of go do what they want with no responsibility. But like Derek is doing like real things in real estate. Derek is doing real things in business. He's a good dude. And like when I see his posts on LinkedIn and stuff, I don't ever know where he's at. The guy's all over the place. So really, really cool. I thought I'd share a bit of kind of put my entrepreneurial hat on a little bit and get your mind framed properly for our conversation. So without any more delay, let's check out our conversation that Derek and I had. All right, Derek. Welcome to the show, man. Great to see you again. Jason, it is always a pleasure to be with you, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm hungry right now, and I'm actually uh, reflecting back on that delicious burger we had together at Brew Burger. Well, That's right. That was some good stuff out there. Oh, yeah. So yep. uh, I don't think I know this story about you, but I'd love to hear kind of your journey, how you got into real estate investing from the beginning. Yeah, you know, it, it is a long story, but I usually, you know, like to start that uh, I, I started off as an engineer in oil and gas, did that for many times traveling across the country and eventually settling in Washington state and meeting and eventually pursuing my wife, right? Who was in, uh, she was in medical school. And so after her medical school was up, she ended up moving to the Bay Area for her first residency. And so I had to uh, kind of shift gears because there isn't too much refined. I mean, there is a lot of refineries down in the Bay Area, but it's very niche. Like it's a very closed community. Yep. So what I had to do is I went to work for a contractor as a project manager. So I went from an engineer to being a project manager. And I thought that was great because at the time I was really into Dave Ramsey, you know, and Dave Ramsey was all about, hey, you know, pay off your debt, pay down your debt, get a bigger income shovel, right? So you can dig yourself out and try to do that. And so I figured that the best way for me to eventually get to the point where I could retire at age 40 or 50 or, you know, beat the institutional average of 62 and a half or whatever it is, uh, was for me to save up and follow that plan because I didn't know any better. So I ended up going into school to try to get an MBA and really went down this path of climbing the corporate ladder to get a bigger shovel to be able to eventually live off of 4% of a nest egg, right, on stocks. Yeah. And then, you know, my wife was like, you know, you need to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because I really think you'd like that. And she came from an immigrant family, so they're used to setting up businesses and, you know, the uncertainty of things. And they did a really, they did really well for themselves. But I, it was unfamiliar to me. Both my parents were corporate workers. So I read the book and I was like, oh my gosh, this is mind blowing. And then I kind of just went down the rabbit hole after that, Jason. I just, you know, after reading that book, I started listening to Bigger Pockets before it was super, super popular back when... Josh Dorkin and Brandon Turner were co-hosting the show many years ago. And I realized, oh my gosh, like I could create this 
passive income stream with uh, with rental properties. And so we first did it with my wife's condo that was in Washington State because we both moved down to, to California. And so we had the condo and we decided not to sell it because it was so underwater. She had bought it like a month before the 2008 crisis, right? Oh. And so... Yeah, so it was underwater, so we couldn't sell it anyway, but we we're like, hey, let's try this. And so we found out that we were getting like mailbox money as we were driving down and like the gear started to turn because I was still in the Dave Ramsey mode. Yeah. So I kind of went nuts from there, Jason, because I used my very high active income in the California Bay Area, living super cheaply in a, you know, in one bedroom of a four bedroom house with three other guys like in the Bay Area, splitting the rent. I used that income from my paycheck to basically starting to buy single family homes. And eventually I ran out of loans because they limit you to 10 single family homes over a period of time. And then I went to multifamily into commercial loans and then I ran out of money. And then after that, I started seeking some advice. And this whole time, like I was obsessed with real estate investing, I ended up learning about syndications and then met Vinnie Chopra. And then from there, you know, I scaled and got up to about 150 units. Then I left my full-time job about two years ago or a year and a half ago. And then we've we've grown now to a little over 500 units actively managed. Very nice. And this is just a, a question that's kind of funny because I know I can see how you're wired and how you're wired. Can you imagine going back to corporate America now? There is no way in heck that I'm doing you, that. You'll be here at 8 o'clock. <laughs> can you imagine? There's no way. If, if they tried to do that to me, I would walk up to them and, and I would just be like, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, but I'll do my job. And right. if you like it, great. If not, then let me go. It's just a take it or leave it thing. And so I've, I've kind of changed permanently because of that. So can't go back. Can't yeah, put the genie well, back in the bottle. It's so interesting. You mentioned Dave Ramsey and you and you mentioned uh, Robert Kiyosaki. People ask me that all the time. They're like, you know, what camp are you in? And I'm like, well, there's things about Dave Ramsey that make sense, but like the long-term play sounds like hell. I mean, it really... I don't want to pay off my house and everything I have because, as you know, equity in the house is a powerful leverage tool for other things. So, you know, there's there's bits and pieces about both that are interesting. But, yeah, it's so funny. I, too, came from lawyer, court reporter, corporate America, only in the house. We never talked about entrepreneurship. My parents didn't understand it. So, like, in hindsight, I totally get it. But anyway, man, I love that story. I know you are a freedom fanatic. Talk to me about what freedom <laughs> means. I know. I know yeah. Talk to you about it. Yeah, sure. So, so freedom is a very important word to me. As a matter of fact, I did this core values assessment. Have you heard of this, Jason? What this is core about? So, a core values assessment is um, it's like a it's a, an assessment that you take that tells you what it is that makes you you. Yeah. And from the beginning, my mom always told me that I marched to the beat of my own drum. She always told me that like I decided to do things that you know most people didn't agree with or it didn't make sense. I, so I take pride in that. Back or when I was growing up, it wasn't a prideful thing. I actually got shamed and beat up a few times and, you know, bullied a little bit in school. But, you know, I, it stuck with me and that's one of my strong points now. So freedom to me means you have some degree, like you, everyone has a certain degree of freedom that they should be striving for. And freedom to me means the ability to make choices. So here's the thing, Jason, when most people think about financial freedom, Everyone looks at financial freedom as this giant mountain that's like, it's going to take forever. Because when people hear the catchphrase financial freedom, it means that they've got to get enough income from their side hustles or actually from their investments because you're trying to not work for all that, right? You're otherwise just creating a job. 
So you're trying to create enough income from your investments passively, whether it's stocks, businesses, real estate, whatever, to replace your current income. I don't believe in that completely. I believe that there are three layers that you can use to get to financial freedom. And I think that people should think about it as different steps, right? So the first thing is, why not try to get yourself location freedom? So for instance, you can do that while still working a W-2 job or working a contractor job or whatever, if you're trading time for money. All you got to do is find yourself into a remote position. And if you say that you can't do that, you're lying because yep. anyone can find a remote position. As a matter of fact, I know, Jason, that you hire quite a bit of remote people. And I'm sure that that's something that they like to take advantage of because if they want to go on vacation or live a lifestyle where they can choose to live either cheaper or more more exotic places or into a different weather and just be mobile, that's something that I encourage people to set themselves up with right away. That's location freedom. Yep. And the second layer is time freedom. Time freedom is correctly using systems and processes to trim your eight-hour day down to four hours as much as possible. So... I, as an employer, I don't know how you feel about this, Jason, but for me as an employer, I have a couple of people that, that I employ. I personally don't care if they use virtual assistants to get their results done. What that means is if I give my employee, you know, I expect them to work eight hours and I'm expecting eight hours worth of work or results, as long as they can produce the effort, what's wrong with them training up an employee on the side and taking some of their salary to pay this other person to get the results done and the results get done better or quicker, yeah. that to me is awesome. And so I would empower that. So again, you got to be careful with your employer on this, but there are certain things you can do with even your personal side where you can start to trim away and make some time freedom for yourself. Yes, you're not going to be completely time free until you're financially free, but I'm encouraging you to try to challenge yourself to do an entire work week in eight hours or 12 hours or even 20 hours if it's something, right? And so there's always ways to do that. And then Finally, there's the financial freedom, which is using passive investments, investing in businesses or real estate to eventually get to that point where you truly are free. And the reason I ask people to walk these layers of the onion, Jason, is because I want people to preview what the life is like that they're working so dang hard to build. Yeah. Because what happens if you are trying to build this life of financial freedom and then you have location and time freedom, but you're bored out of your mind and you don't know what you want to do? Yeah. What have you done working like that hard to sacrifice relationships, sacrifice things that you have to in order to make it happen, why are you working that hard? So that's why I encourage people to think about freedom in a different way, still pursue it, but change the relationship a little bit. Try to break it up into three steps. Yeah, man, I love that. One thing I'm hearing when you're talking about your employees is you're you're giving them freedom over their process, right? Something I used to struggle with I worked when I worked in HR in corporate America is the big corporations are like, this is exactly how you must do stuff. And I always was like, if they achieve the goal, why don't we let them create their own process? Because it immediately creates a huge spike in engagement and they might even find a better way to do it. So it's like our team is remote. It's me and my wife and there's seven others you know, all over the place. And people can work up to a certain amount of hours a week with me and they get to pick and choose when that is. You want to go on vacation? Tell your husband. You don't need to tell me. It, everybody's hourly, so they get paid for what they work. But... It creates this amazing environment that people don't want to leave, and it's worked really well for us. But, like, I wanted control over my time. That was the first thing that really made me jump from corporate. I don't like getting up early. Like, I was up till 3 a.m. finishing a website for my other business, and I was like, that's done. And I got up at 
eight o'clock. So not the most restful sleep, but I usually do not like getting up early. So when we were able to work for ourselves, I was able to say, hey, if you want to talk to me, you must use my calendar. No impromptu phone calls, because if you don't create boundaries with that, you're always at the mercy of the next phone call. So that's like step one, but it is, yeah, it's really good stuff, man. It's really good stuff. I love it. So many people will ask me, what do you want to do when you retire someday? And I'm like, I don't think that way. Like, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like, you're trying to like the whole, the whole point of this, Jason, is to try to get yourself in alignment with the person who you're going to be now. Right. And I think if you think in these three degrees of freedom, you can eventually get there. I'm listening to myself from the perspective of not having time freedom, not having financial freedom, not having location freedom. And it's, it's very hard for me to understand this, but I'm listening. I'm telling the listeners out there who don't have these layers of freedom. You need to start building this into your life. Now you need to eventually get to a point where your work and your life, they start to blend together into one piece. Otherwise you're, you're going to live these two separate lives and you're going to be stressed out. It's not going to work out really well for you. So I just encourage people to start thinking in that way. And one tip I wanted to add to Jason, maybe you've already got this, but so I give everyone my Google voice number and my Google voice number is always on do not disturb. And that means that anyone who calls me, it goes straight to voicemail. And do you know what my voicemail says? My voicemail says, send me an email. That's the most productive way to get to me. And just in case they leave a voicemail or they send a text, I have it forwarded to my email, right? So uh, Google Voice automatically transcribes their voice message or their text message, and it forwards it to me via email. And once I have it in my email, I can forward that to my VA, or I can categorize it or task it or do anything that I want with it. And so that is a super tip that I want to encourage everyone else to use because Google Voice is free. Uh, It's something that I use all the time. So everyone tries to call me, it goes straight to voicemail, and then they have to leave a message. And it's also a great way to get rid of those spam calls too, which we get all the time in the real estate business. Oh yeah, I love that. I do uh, the same thing with sales message. So the phone number out there is not my cell phone. Very only in a cell phone. You know, people call it, they go straight to voicemail, they leave a message that emails me the voice memo, right? So it's the same idea. I tell people all the time, if you can take control of your time by creating a layer between you and the outside world, that alone will change your life. Oh, absolutely. 100%. We just hired a, an executive assistant just for me um, this year for the first time. And I was like, hey, part of what you need to do is block for me. Keep people away from me because it's too much. Force them to go through the process we have in place. It's been absolutely life-changing. Like It's been so nice. So by the way... Anybody listening or watching hasn't picked up on it. I love the way this podcast is starting off. This is good stuff, man. <laughs> hey, I'm here to add value, and you and I have a lot in common. So, I mean, yeah. that's just what happens, you know? Oh, yeah. Excited. Let me ask you this. Uh, what asset classes and or markets do you typically focus on? I'm really curious because I don't know this about you either. Yeah, you know, we have a fund, but we like to focus on mostly multifamily value-add deals. Uh, in the B and C class realm. So it's a lot of what people are running down right now these days also. I also have a very keen interest in self-storage just because, man, I love the idea of paying rent but knowing living there. That's really, really cool. And so the business model is awesome. There's like low expenses. Yeah, there's some tech stuff that you can enable that's really, really cool and kind of right up my alley too. But currently, most of my expertise is in the multifamily real estate sector because I do all of the capital raising, all of the underwriting, all of the deal, deal analysis, putting together the, the loans, getting the team together, raising capital, as I said, 
and then asset managing also. So I'm busy with all of those things, but I have systems in place to help me do that while I'm traveling the world. Yep. But I like that asset class and I think there's a lot of promise. It's just very much in demand. So it's very high. You know, the prices are very high. And so you have to watch what you're getting into. So I'm very careful with what I do. I only do maybe like one or two deals a year, honestly. And those deals that I do do are conservatively underwritten and they're deals I'm comfortable deploying my own capital alongside investors. And I really like the Midwest, hence the reason that we met in Plainfield out in, in Indiana in the outskirts of Indianapolis. Yep. So I love Indianapolis. I love Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm also, I would love to get into Columbus, Ohio, but man, it's really inflated, a really hot market there. But those are places I like to play as well as in Texas, certain areas of Texas, just because I want to be able to have a nice cash flow offering for my investors and then also have an appreciation type offering in Texas for them as well. So that way I'm able to hit like kind of a full range of the investors that I want to work with for whatever they're looking for based on their, you know, their current life situation or what their investment strategy is. Very nice. I like it. So think back to when you first got started with this, what were the simple marketing strategies and tactics that let you get traction initially when you were starting to get investors coming to you? Yeah. You know, oh man. So I think that consistency is everything. There's the four C's that I really believe in, but I think for tactical marketing, honestly, Jason, I had no idea what I was doing when I started. I just knew that I needed to get something out there. And, and a wise person told me once that, you know, you really have nothing to lose when it comes to social media or when it comes to marketing, because if it's good, then people will share it. If it's not good, it just dies on the algorithm. Like it doesn't get shared, like no one comments on it. And so what's the problem with just putting content out there? So that's exactly what I did. I started with like a, a little mini Facebook group and I've always been a systems-minded thinker, Jason. So I created some evergreen content. I just sat down for like a week, a whole week and pre-populated 30 posts all in one shot, right? I created the images, I created the text and I put that all together. And then I had bought a, a social media calendar app and I just started scheduling all those posts in, and then just sent them out, right? And then I realized that having a podcast would be really good for other people to be able to listen to me. Yep. So I just put together a podcast and self-published on Buzzsprout, and I still do it to this day. It's all organic traffic. And so I really believe that it's kind of like this om omnipresent thing. And so I'll be honest, like when I first started, it was really like, it's not great content. It was really like me trying to like experiment with things. But just like everything else, it's an acquired skill to work in social media and do podcasting. And it wasn't until I got in touch with you that email marketing really started to make a lot of sense. And I really got to build up my email list and start to walk them through a journey that's more personalized to them rather than just being kind of out there all at once for everyone. Well, I appreciate the kind words. And uh, you know, what's funny is I always say this, uh, a lot of people say content's king. I don't agree. I think consistency is king and content's also very important. And the reason why is yeah. if you think about working out, right? If you decided to work out three times a week in the right room for one year, even if your workouts were C plus, maybe your form wasn't perfect, maybe they weren't as intense as they could have been, after a year, you're going to look very different. Guarantee it. Yep. If you do an A plus workout once a month for a year, you're not going to notice any difference. So that's why I say consistency beats content kind of all day. So uh, I would agree. And I would also say too, Jason, for those listeners out there that maybe get intimidated by like, oh my gosh, I don't want to have to be, you know, beholden to sitting there and writing posts every day, like for an hour every day. That's where I would challenge you. Think systems, think yep. time freedom, yep. 
why not do a whole bunch of them over a weekend that gets you an entire month's worth of content? You can do that in this day and age very easily and very cheaply. So I challenge you to do that. So those excuses that you have that you're bringing to yourself that says, hey, you know, I don't want to post every day. That's wrong. I even have something set up right now, Jason, where my VA, he's taken all of my responses on LinkedIn, right? Every time that I've responded to someone on LinkedIn, he's pulled those responses, put it into a spreadsheet, and now he's using ChatGPT and Copy AI to reword my same words because he's, for some reason, he's from the Philippines. So he feels self-conscious about like, yeah. you know, posting something that's not in his native language. So he takes my message, runs it through an AI layer, and then can now comment with all of those. So he can look at someone's comment, right? And then I can train him up on how to respond to someone. If they say, you know, good work, then you can respond just saying by saying thank you. And basically learning how to automate all of this stuff, right? And it doesn't take much. You just have to think a little bit beyond, like, what can you put into a box and generalize and systematize? And so that takes a, a little bit of, a, you know, a systemized thinker and thinking. And so it's it's kind of like this way of thinking that I encourage people to to get at. But just know that if you're making an excuse to say, I don't want to do this because it's going to take a long time to be consistent. Yes, I agree. It would take a long time for being consistent if you're working hard, but you need to work smart in this day and age. Yeah, the marketing automation tech available to us all in this day and age is it's insane. When it, it's like my son, who is almost seventeen, will complain that he doesn't have money. Okay, and me, if you know anything about me, you're not going to get sympathy for me, son. You're a young version of me, so. I said, instead of laying on your bed for two hours a day after school, not at one time, but on TikTok, go work at Walmart for two hours or go back to the logo design business that you had and you used to make $40 an hour. Wow. Put some effort into it. You're already burning the time on stupid stuff. Like the tech is there. So yeah, when people, same thing, when I hear their excuses about what they can't do, I'm like, you need to stop using that word because it's complete BS. And you're leaving it. You know what I mean? It's not true. Just say, I don't want to do it. And I'll have more respect for you. And you'll sleep better now. Don't say you can't. We're not it's a cop out. It is. It's a cop out. Lying around with your arms. We're talking about using user-friendly tools that everybody can afford. Don't say you yeah, can't. That's absolutely right. I think doing that, saying you can't or you don't have the time, really, that means you just don't. It's not a priority. Not a priority. That's what that is. Yeah. I mean, if I said, you know, the room you're in's on fire, it would become your number one priority to get out of it. So <laughs> yes, I would hope so. You don't have yes. more time than you did before, but your priorities have changed. So yeah, I get you, man. Yeah. Okay. A little curveball for you. You like curveballs. I do. I do. <laughs> Except um, I used to throw sliders uh, a lot in, <laughs> in high school. So we'll see. We'll see how we do with this. Oh, you'll be fine. Uh, I'm just curious. What's the biggest mistake or the biggest regret you've had looking back on the marketing you did or didn't do so far? Uh, yeah, really good question. I think that what it was was not getting help sooner. Yeah. Here, here's the thing, right? Like, I thought that being a content generator was the best way to get involvement online on a social platform like LinkedIn. Yep. But I'm about to give the listeners, and I think you know this already. Jason, but I'm about to give the listeners a big aha moment here that took me years to understand. I lost a year, I think, of like, you know, doubling my network in size on LinkedIn and my following, right? It's not necessarily the con the content that you create is great, but the algorithm is not going to show your content if you don't engage with others. Yep. 
So if you are a post and runner, right? Like you just to say, you get, you decide to say, all right, I'm going to generate a whole month's worth of content and I'm just going to throw it out online on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram and whoever clicks on it, great. You're not going to get volume. The algorithm knows that you're a post and runner because there's no engagement, right? There's no human element to other people's whose content that you respect. They have, I hate to say this, but there's a human emotion where like there's an obligation there. If you're always interacting with their stuff, they're going to want to come by and just say, oh, you got some awesome stuff too. Just because it's a human thing. It's like you're doing, I don't want to say you're doing a favor for another person, yeah. but the search engine, the the algorithm looks at it as engagement and they will promote your posts and then more people will see it and more people will like it, right? So if you just post and run, I did that. And I was always wondering like, why are some of these other guys, like why is their, their stuff going viral? It's because they spent the time to go and post comments on other people's stuff, right? You should probably, Jason, I think you need to have Yona Weiss on the show. I don't know if you've seen him before or have met I know him. Yona. Yeah. He is a fantastic network marketer and he knows everything about like how the algorithm works on LinkedIn. So he'd be a great resource to like help with like viral stuff and social media. But on social media, the more that you interact with people with their content, and even if you have the top comment on a viral piece of content moving around because you were the first one there, that's going to do so much good for you. And so I encourage you, yes, posting is important, but you've got to engage with other people. And I think that that also doubles for email marketing too, you know, texting people, setting up automations, like giving the impression that you're trying to reach out, you know, that is super, super important. So don't just think that people are going to be super interested to read your content right away because they are flooded with messages. The only way to really get there is to engage with other people and show the platform that you're really serious about being a part of it. Man, that's a, a hard slap in the face I needed to hear. I've never heard post and run, but I was like, guilty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have a, a girl on our team that does our blog content and she does our Instagram engagement as well. And it's weird because I never could get my Instagram to a thousand followers. Used to work on it all the time. Never could do it. Never could do it. I don't know what she's doing, but she's not posting, right? My wife does the posting, post and run. But I think she is doing what you're saying because she's like, I'm interacting with other people and that type of thing that are targeted based on who you want to attract. And we're like running towards 1100 now. It's just running away. And on yeah. LinkedIn, we have a huge opportunity for that as well. So I'm going to get with my EA after this and say, I have something new for you to do. Beat me on LinkedIn because we're already watching and we're already sharing like some of the stuff that people we care about are doing. But that interaction piece is a big missed opportunity for us. So... If you are, if you are struggling, like if the EA starts struggling to be you, I would highly recommend, and this is just something that I do with my VA, um, have her go in and look at your activity for the times that you did actually comment on other people's posts, yep. pull those comments, right? That you've put, put them in a spreadsheet and then let your EA, especially if they're based in the U S they're a natural English speaker and they're, yep. they're, they, they, they're educated here. Um, then you'd be surprised how little it would take for them to pretend to be you. Yeah. doesn't take that much. So yeah, I, I would definitely engage with that piece of it because it's huge and you'll eventually get this this layer of automation when people think they're interacting with you. And sometimes they, they might actually be interacting yeah. with you, but it's really what the algorithm thinks and that's what matters. So, yeah, so bravo. She's a native US speaker or native English speaker and uh, we talk on Voxer every day. So she knows me and how I'm wired pretty well, which is great. Something else you mentioned I use a lot of two-way text in my marketing, a lot of, you know, messaging and stuff. When people respond, 
to an automated text or a message, like one hour is probably too long. If you can respond back, even with any kind of reaction in real time, in 15 minutes, man, I can't tell you the amount of deals I've closed through text because people go, is this, is this really you or is this a bot? I'm always <laughs> like, what do you think it is? You know, they're like, uh, a bot. I'm like, you'd be wrong. Today's Tuesday. And you're in there like, whoa, what's going on? So there's actually two of us that text back as me. And it's cool because people are like, I don't know what you got going on, but it's really powerful. That's awesome, man. Really cool. I, I got to be taking notes from you too, man. This is, uh, this is good stuff. <laughs> All right. Another curveball for you. And I'm very curious to see what you'll say here. Can you share a story about your journey that you've never shared publicly on another podcast on a stage? Me, anything you want. Humorous, lesson learned, whatever you want to do. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Just so you know, I've heard some crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. I think... Um... I think for me, maybe maybe what I'll talk about is, okay, yeah, this was my first multifamily apartment building. You got, I got to give you just a little bit of context because um, you know it was 2018, uh, late 2018, and we bought this building in Indianapolis that was, I would say, C minus D plus type <laughs> asset, and it was um, a building that we had bought for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, eighteen units, right, and there were five commercial units on the bottom floor, so. And this was like pretty close to downtown, but it was really dilapidated. And like what what I thought was really interesting about the story, here's point number one, is that while we were under contract, this is a big red flag. When we were under contract, the the broker came to me and he was like, I could tell he was scratching his head and he was asking me. He's like, um, really unusual request, man. But uh, the seller is asking if you can throw in an extra $3,500 of earnest money even though we've already sent, like we sent our earnest money in and everything because they need to have a furnace replaced with one of the tenants in there. And I was like, I was scratching my head. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, we're not, we're not doing that at all. That's but that was the, that was the first red flag. And then the second thing that happened once we closed and we got into this thing, one of my partners had fired my property manager without telling me that's a whole nother story. And he hired someone off of Craigslist off the street as a contractor and also as an enforcer because we didn't have a property manager either because we had a property manager and a contractor that I had brought in because I was investing in Indy and he's from California and he flew out there on his own without telling me and then he ended up um, firing my property manager and he hired someone off the street from Craigslist and then that person in order to try to get someone out of the building so they could go in and start to turn the unit and do the work as a contractor they thought it would be really a good idea to pull a gun on this lady who was sitting on the couch with a baby and basically said, you got to get out and an argument ensued and the cops came and just a massive, massive thing that happened. Like insurance got involved. The lender was like, what are you guys doing? We had no property manager. And so I like definitely earned some gray hairs there, Jason. All I got to say is that, you know, the lesson that I learned is that you got to really vet your partners out well. And there has to be a big amount of trust and there has to be open communication about what's working, what's not. Because what was wrong was that we weren't talking with each other about what was working and what wasn't. So he decided to take things into his own hands. So I take responsibility for my role in that for sure. And so I'm just picturing what that was like in, in, in my head. So I don't know if that's a funny or tragic or like a, a shocking story, but man, it was it was not cool. That's really great tough. because it's real and you can't make it up. So for anybody in the state of Washington doesn't know this, I'm from Indianapolis. I currently live about 35 <laughs> minutes south. What side of downtown was that on? 
It was on, do you know, like Arsenal? And it's the east side. Yeah. I, was yeah. I, I totally get it. So Yeah, it's east side of, yep. That's that's where it is. You you wouldn't see that on the north or the south side. So, no. yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Very interesting. I appreciate that, man. But yeah, yeah, I imagine going through pieces of that, the stress level had to just be through the roof. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, Jason, there were so many points in time with this partnership and this property where I was about to throw my hands up and just kind of walk away from the whole thing. But thank God, like, man, my wife is just, just amazing. You met her at the burger place. She has been the visionary for the company the whole time. And she's like, you got to stick with this. Like you're becoming a stronger person. Just give it another day. Just do one day after one day. And so she was my rock during this whole thing while I was working the job too. And it was stressful at my job also. So, um, stress coming from everywhere. And she was doing everything she could to make it easy for me where she could have very easily said, you know what? You being in a bad mood all the time and stressed out, like it's pissing me off. And now like we've got a problem and that would have just made things worse. So yeah. like, I, I just so happy to be, you know, married to my incredible wife. Well, hey, the good thing about those stories is when you get out of them, not only do they make a, a great story, a teaching point for somebody else, but that actual experience of what you went through, you can't, you can't put a price on that. You can't get that from anywhere except if you go through it. So it's oh, valuable stuff. All right, let's say you have a conversation with a brand new person who wants to capital raise. You know, they're out there, they're excited, they're everywhere, right? I talk to them every week. What's the one piece of marketing advice you'd share with them? Hey, mm. this or don't do this, we get started. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, ooh, for, and this is for spe- specifically for capital raisers, right? Not for anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, I would say don't go into this thinking that you're going to be, I would say just be humble. Yeah. Be in learn mode. I think that a lot of people come into this, they think they know what they're talking about and they get into things that are maybe too risky or they don't know how to vet a sponsor out. Remember, you're raising capital and you are a steward of other people's money. This is a big deal, right? You're not going in there just to, you know, just to make money together and everything is great. And, you know, you close your eyes and throw a dart. And as long as you hit the wall, not even the dartboard, you're still going to win. Like that's not going to work. This is a serious responsibility and you should move with caution. You should vet the sponsors appropriately and don't just take money and then irresponsibly because the worst case scenario, which has happened to me before, is that you raise money for a deal and you could lose the entire investment. Yep. So that's a very real possibility. It doesn't seem like it, but it really is. And I want you to picture what that conversation is like when someone writes you a $100,000 check because of you, because of your confidence and your ability to be able to say, this is a deal that I would invest in and you are investing in alongside them. And now you have to go and tell them the, uh, that the whole thing is gone. You know, Ooh, that is something you just got to be aware of that downside because it does happen. And it's starting to happen a lot these days in this economy right now, in this type of environment. So if you're going to be a capital raiser, just know that what you're doing is very real power. You know, be humble respect the fact that someone is writing you a big check and treat this money with so much respect that you prioritize it above your own debts. That's how, that's what I would say. Great advice. You know, I hear lots going on in this industry. I'm hearing the capital calls are becoming more regular these days. Yeah. Everybody listening, those are not calls you want to be on either side of. So that's right. Yeah. I mean, if you write a hundred thousand dollar check and then the sponsor says, Hey guys, we got a problem. We're going to need another 25K from everyone who put in 100,000 or else if you don't, then we lose everything. Ugh. That's not what you want to hear. 
Yeah. So that's the type of thing, and especially for capital raisers, if you raise a million dollars, right, yep. and the the sponsors are going to come to you to raise another five hundred or another twenty five two hundred fifty k off that one million. And when you go to your investors, like imagine what they're going to hear when you say, "Look, this investment's not going well." Now you have to explain to them what's happening. Yeah. And and so again, everything is marketing. And so if you do your marketing and you position yourself as someone who does conservative investments and you're very mindful of what your investor's doing, then you won't attract the investors that'll ask these big questions anyway. And they'll be more understanding that you did your homework. This is where things went wrong and things are, it will be a little bit easier for you. So it all, it does all start with the marketing because that kind of enables who you're going to bring into your sphere with you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Yeah. No worries. All right. So we're recording this in February of 2023. As you look forward to the rest of this year, what's got you excited? What are you most focused on in business? You know, Jason, um, I had a realization by taking off Q4 or most of Q4 of last year to try to, try to create some space to see what would come up because I have a lot of skills yep. and I have a lot of different things that people are asking for of things from me. And I'm trying to figure out what's the most efficient one to help add value to each other and also be more in alignment with me so I can close that gap between work and life, right? And I think for me, like what I'm super excited about is being able to not just work on the financial degree of freedom, but helping people with their location and with their time freedom as well. That's super exciting to me. That's a big Um, It is, yeah. And a lot of people need this and they need little shots of inspiration because if, if you're going to people talking about financial freedom as a whole a lot of people just won't believe it they won't believe themselves but if you talk to them about how you can create some location freedom first and ironically jason just one other tip here for all the listeners out there the location freedom helped get me to financial freedom yeah. and time freedom and the reason was when i was living in the bay area my expenses were like 13 grand a month just to live just to survive yeah, yeah. Because you had state tax, you had property tax, you had a big mortgage, you had expensive fuel. My mortgage was like six grand a month, Jason. And it was not an extravagant house. It's just the way it was in the Bay Area. Yep. But, you know, I was making 200 a year. So, but the thing was, is as soon as I realized that I could do a lot of living in the United States for like four or five grand, yep. lots of parts of the country, yep. that's when I became suddenly financially free because I had passive income that was nowhere near my Bay Area lifestyle, but it was near that. So little things like that that teach people, if you can be more of a ninja to help get yourself this location freedom and time freedom before the financial, I'm super excited about it. And I'll always be there for financial freedom and investing in real estate for others who are ready for it. But I think that shifting my focus to be more of a lifestyle brand than purely real estate company is something I'm super excited about in 2023. Yeah, I think it's a really good move for you. And I say that because not that you need my blessing, but just getting to know you and, and meeting you face to face, it seems super true to who you are. So I think- Thank that, you, sir. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful lane for you to be in. Not only will you love it, but you'll kill it too. So good. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I'm looking forward to it. Yep, no problem at all. So if anybody watching or listening wants to get more info about you or what you're up to, where can they go to to do so? Yeah, so the main place that everything happens is on our website at elevateequity.org. But I would also propose to the listeners, if you want to get a five-step blueprint of how my wife and I created this financial freedom and time freedom and location freedom for ourselves, we built five pieces of equity, personal equity, knowledge equity, all kinds of stuff, right? 
get that blueprint at um, elevateequity.org forward slash podcast gift. And you can download that for free. It's a self-assessment to see how, how close you are to all of that uh, and the things you need to do to move the needle there. And then also our podcast is called Elevate Your Equity, although we're rebranding, Jason, and we're going to be calling it the Three Degrees of Freedom podcast coming up soon for season three. So check it out wherever you guys listen to podcasts. If it's on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you're at, we're there. Awesome, man. Well, great show. I enjoyed the living hell out of this. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate your time and attention, man. Same to you, man. We need to have you on ours again when we do a new podcast. So thank you for having me on. Awesome, man. I'd love to come. So see you soon. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show. I had a great time making it, and I hope you really enjoyed yourself listening to it. If you want to keep up with all things Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories podcast related, I encourage you strongly to go to reimarketingstories.com and signing up for our podcast newsletter. We will simply keep you up to date with what's going on at the show, new episodes, and things like that. reimarketingstories.com. So hopefully today's episode and the other episodes that you'll listen to will remind you that as a real estate investor, everybody starts at the beginning, okay? Um, our guest today and the other guests that you will hear on this show will share their real story, right? They'll tell you what worked, what didn't work. And I want you to remember one thing if you remember nothing else today. It's possible for you to, okay? Never stop going and keep following your passion. Finally, today's show has been brought to you by CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. If you're an active capital raiser and you are ready to learn the three areas that are holding you back from raising more capital, I strongly suggest you check out CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. Check out our free 10-minute video there, and you let me know if it doesn't provide you value. I'm sure it will. All right, thanks again for listening to the show this week. Hope to see you next time. Take care.